Okay, <clears throat> I'm glad you're here. Uh, there's something that I'd, I'd love to discuss. We, we, we've touched on it uh, at different points, but it's, it's such a giant question, and, um, and it's, it's relevant for where we are in the Torah right now, so let's dive in. And, and we're trying to address this question, which everyone has, which is, why is life so confusing? And um, it's, there's, no, there's no simple answer to this, but I, I want to give sort of like a, a, a novel sort of presentation. This is my own kind of idea, but you'll see it's all based on classic sources and things like that. And, um, and it might give us an insight just in terms of kind of why, why life often is so mysterious. Um, and, and also just some textual analysis, just kind of getting into the Torah and, and, and figuring things out. Um, so I'll leave that, that question hanging. And, and I'm going to go uh, into sort of like the more direct question that we, that we have in the Parsha, which is, which is arguably the greatest moment the, the Jewish people ever achieved um, was when we said the words Nasev Nishma, which, which means we will do and we will hear. This was uh, at the acceptance of the, the Torah at Mount Sinai. So let's think about that for a moment, because it's, this is actually super epic, as epic as it gets, actually. We said, again, we will do and we will hear. So, so what does that mean? That means that we told God that we're ready to accept all of the mitzvahs. We're ready to sign the contract without reading it, because we will do and then we'll hear. We're, we're in. We're in God. Just you tell us the details, but we're telling you, we already know you exist. We already know that you run the world. We already know that you're good. We already know that you love us. So what else do we need to know? Just, that's it. Just, we're going to do it. We're in. We are in. And now just tell us the details. So this was an amazing thing because the the Medrash says that God actually... Believe it or not, this is actually an astounding thing. God actually offered the Torah to the children of Esav, and he offered the Torah to the children of Ishmael before the Jewish people. And each of those nations said back to God, oh, you want us to accept your Torah? What's in it? And God said, see you around. You know, on a person-to-person level, and this is, this is a very high level, so I, I don't know that you should run to adopt this as your, your basic operating mode, okay? This is a very high level, but it's just a nice thing to notice when it happens. You ready? It goes like this. A lot of times, people will say to you or you'll say to someone, um, can you do me a favor? And most of the time, people will say, what is it? <laughs> but on that rare occasion where you go up to someone and you say, can you do me a favor? And the person says, yes, without even knowing what they're committing to, that's a beautiful thing. That, that's a moment to be savored because that's, that's a real friend. That's someone who really loves you or knows that you really love them. Okay? Um, so... So again, just a, just a beautiful thing to keep in the back of your mind. Uh, so the Jewish people said, we will do and we will hear. And, and it says that angels put two crowns on our heads, one for we will do and one we, for we will hear. 
And the sad part is, after we worship the golden calf, it says that the angels came and swept up all the crowns off our heads. But the Gomorrah says, they'll be returned to us in the end of days. So they're coming back. They're coming back. We lost them. How did we lose them, by the way? It's, it's worth considering how we lost them. Why the golden calf? What was so bad about the golden calf? So the easy answer is, the easy answer is that it was an act of idol worship. And that was, that's a giant deal breaker in Judaism. Idol worship is like the, if you look, by the way, someone, I just, I read this not so long ago. Someone went through the whole Torah and noticed the number one thing, the number one no that's in the Torah in terms of the amount that it's repeated, and it's idol worship. Like, don't do that, right? So, so, and again, when we talk about idol worship on a more conceptual level, idol worship means to attribute power to anything other than God. Okay, so now, technically speaking, would someone be chayev misa, right? Would someone be sort of like subject to, you know, the, the various, uh, you know, Punishments that are listed in the Torah, if, if someone attributed too much greatness to money or power or to their boss or something like that? The answer is no. The answer is no. But nonetheless, it's also interesting that unlike, you know, if you sort of like eat a cheeseburger in your heart, <laughs> it's, you haven't violated anything at least on the here and now level, on the meat and potatoes, you know, rank and file Jew level, you have not violated anything. Are you some great tzaddik? No. But at the same time, you haven't actually violated the prohibition against eating a cheeseburger, okay? If, you've, if you just fantasize about it. However, and that goes with all the no's. If you just kind of think about it... Uh, and, and stuff like that, you, you, haven't, you haven't violated the, the prohibition. With one exception, with one exception, idol worship. Believe it or not, if you are fantasizing about idol worship, you are committing idol worship. Isn't that interesting? And very interesting. However, having said that, let me repeat, if you are attributing all sorts of power to things other than God, like your boss or money, that's not idol worship. Okay? So you have to keep all these things straight. But nonetheless, you see that... that, that so, so, so most people would tell you, remember, we had all the crowns swept off our heads by the sin of the golden calf. Most people would tell you, again, on the, on the most basic level... Why, why did that happen? And the, and the answer is because we did this idol worship thing. Interestingly, if you actually read the Torah itself, a very small number of people participated in the idol worship. And it's unclear whether the Jews were involved in that at all, or the born Jews. Because the Erev Rav, the nations that were taken, or the, the, the masses, um, who were taken out of Egypt, who saw the, the oneness of God. It was clear, like, they, they saw all these plagues taking place in Egypt. They're all starting exactly, they're all different. They're all starting exactly when Moshe says God is going to bring them. They're all ending exactly when Moshe says God is going to stop them. Each one is, like, completely different. 
you know, if you were a thinking, feeling person at that moment, you're going, that's God. <laughs> I want to follow God. That's God. And so it makes sense that the nation, that, that many people from Egypt were like, I'm going with those people. Like, that was all very good. So, but for better or for worse, if we just want to get down to the nitty-gritty details of the golden calf, it says that it was done by those people who left Egypt with the Jewish people. And yet you see the greatness and the importance of the unity of the Jewish people and how we're all one. Whoever joins us, you're 10,000% one of us. Why? Because it's counted against the entire nation, as though every single one of us had done it. And there, there, you, see, there you see how important it is that we take responsibility for each other. Have to take responsibility for each other. We're all in it together. And of course, the classic famous example, um, which I love, which is the two people in the lifeboat, right? Like they're like, and, and one of them takes out a hand drill and starts drilling a hole underneath his seat. And the other one says, what are you doing? And he says, mind your own business. <laughs> mind your own business? <laughs> your business is my business. Okay, but then how do you do that in a way that doesn't alienate the person and doesn't cause further division? Okay, that's, that's the problem we've been working on for the last several thousand years, <laughs> you know? Because it's, it's very, very difficult. Very, very difficult, you know? I mean, there's, there's something great about saying, no, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. On the other hand, it can drive a person very far away. You know, I'll tell you just some a story from my life. I went to, I, I was not raised, uh, you know, uh, with, the, with all the mitzvahs of the Torah. But we had a strong Jewish home, and, and we were raised, uh, you know, going to a reform uh, temple, and, and uh, we had Sunday school. And, and I didn't like it. And, and then we had Hebrew school after school on Wednesdays. I didn't like that either. And I remember at a certain point, I said to my mother, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was like, I told her, I said, it's the same stories every year. I know them already. I said, I'm not going anymore. And she said, you are going. <laughs> And that was the end of the discussion. <laughs> Are you glad she did? I'm so glad she did. She saved my life. She saved my soul. I am so glad she did. I am so glad she did. I am eternally grateful. And I remember when she said that, I was up against a concrete wall. It was just so clear I, I, don't, I didn't even say anything. I don't I remember even saying anything back. I was like, all right, this conversation's over. I'm going. <laughs> she has the power in this relationship. I do not. This is, this is the way it's playing out. And see, you know, this is one of the challenges of parenting, which is, I'll give you, I'll give you a, another version of this. Which is, I remember when my, my son, um, my first son, was, 
he was just a baby. He was, you know, still in his high chair and, and everything like that. So maybe he was a year old. I don't know. He was young. And, and I remember it was sort of like, you know, you introduce new foods slowly to a child just in case they have an allergic reaction. This way you can isolate what they're reacting to. So, um, so for us, it was like an exciting moment as parents because it was sort of like, it's time for him to have chocolate ice cream. <laughs> this is it. This is a big day. Big day. And so I took a spoonful of, you know, those little baby size spoons of, of chocolate ice cream. And he looks at it. And I don't know what he thought it looked like. <laughs> but it did not look appetizing. And he was like, you know, he pushed it away. And, and I said to him, it's chocolate ice cream. <laughs> and of course, he doesn't know what that means. He has no idea, no frame of reference. And he just was not having it. And I was like, not not having it. And so I was sort of like, you know, who's going to win a, who's going to win a wrestling match, right? Like, you know, so I, I pinned his hand down and I shoved the ice cream in his mouth. And he liked it. So, you know, sometimes it's sort of like your job as a parent is to force it on your child. But again, it's it's tricky. It's tricky because I'm thanking my mom for something she said to me when I was, I don't know how old I was, 10, 12. I don't know how old I was at the time. And now it's decades later and I appreciate what she did. So saying no is, saying no is, 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 there are moments, there are moments for it. But you also have to be realistic as a parent that, um, you know, you're not going to get this reaction from your child. Yay, I can't do the thing I really want to do. You're, you know, your child is not going to respond with, with glee. And you have to just sort of just say, okay, look, it's, this is not a popularity contest. I've done what I had to do. I've put that line in the sand. And okay, moving on. Whatever it is. So, so let's get back to idol worship. Well, let's not get back to idol worship. <laughs> let's get back to the discussion that we were on. Which is, again, what, 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 did, what did we do? What did we do wrong exactly? Nasevinishma is what we did right. We said, we will do and we will hear, which means we're, we're signing on. And that was unique to the Jewish people that we just said, God, you're good, we're with you, we're signing on, you'll tell us the details later. And then all of a sudden we make the golden calf. And again, that's something that's charged against all of the Jewish people. So... So what was the sin of the golden calf? Well, you say it's idol worship and that's the number one no. Okay, that's, that's one answer. Except the commentators, very interestingly, say it wasn't really idol worship. Isn't that interesting? Even though if you like read the simple lines in the, in the Torah, it seems like it was pretty much outright idol worship. Right? But it seems like the commentators, if you go more deeply into it, they, they find all sorts of reasons why it wasn't really idol worship. So we'll...
So the Beis HaLevi says something very, very intense. He says, you know, the biggest problem with the golden calf was that God didn't ask us to build the golden calf. We decided on our own how we were going to worship God. And if you think about it, it's the opposite of Nasev and Ishma. Because Nasev and Ishma is we will do and we will hear. The golden calf is, you know something? We'll tell you what the terms of the relationship are. Right now we're creating this brand new thing, this calf, which is going to be sort of this intermediary between us and you. And this is the new normal now, God, in terms of our relationship with you. Do you understand how that completely undoes the Nasev and Ishma? Because now all of a sudden it's not this top-down kind of thing. Now it's sort of like we're driving and, and saying, God, it's going to be like this. Very, very, very different thing. That, 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 that throws the entire order of everything. Throws the entire order of everything. Um... Okay, so now, remember, we still have our giant question, but we'll get to it later. Why is life so confusing? We haven't forgotten about that. But I want to I get more toward answering that question, but we're still going to leave it hanging. Um, and I want to go into another level of Nasevinishma. We will do and we will hear, okay? Because, believe it or not, you would expect to find that verse inside, inside the Torah, which is in Parshish Yisro, which is where the entire uh, account of giving the Torah, getting the Torah at Mount Sinai occurs. But Nasev Nishma actually occurs at the end of Parshish Mishpatim, an entire chapter away, an entire part excuse me, an entire Parsha away. In fact, it's in chapter 24 at the end of the following week's uh, Parsha. Which is very odd. Because here, it's like, we will do whatever you want from us, God. We will do without even hearing it. And then you just tell us what it is. But wait a second, God already told us what it is. (laughs) He told us last week. So, now we have like a giant headline. This is a, a bombshell for many people. If you've been studying Torah for a long time, you, you probably know this. But if you haven't, then it's a bombshell, which is there are sections of the Torah which are out of order. And that's like, wow, okay. And But this is from Hashem. This is from Hashem. This is a part of the divine construction of the ordering of the Torah. So we go, okay. And then you can assume, just so you know, you can assume when you're reading the Torah that everything is in chronological order. You can make that assumption. However, there are certain little pockets that are out of order. Nasevinishma being one of them. So that's according to Rashi. Rashi says, yeah, it's true. We all agree it's coming at the end of the following week's Torah portion. We get it. That's one of those sections that's out of order. Really, it happened before the Torah was given, and it's consistent with everything we've been saying up until now. However, 
There are commentators who say, no. We said, we will do and we will hear after we already got the Torah. Now, that's fascinating because now we have to completely re-examine what Nasev Nishma means. Because up until now, we've been saying that we will do and we will hear the greatness of that was the whole, we will, that, that we didn't know what we were agreeing to. Now you're telling me that we knew exactly what we were agreeing to. So we said, we will do. Okay, so how is that different? Well, what's remarkable about that? And we will hear. But now, wait a second, now we have a question on the second part. What do you mean, we will hear? Didn't we already hear? And since the angels put crowns on our heads for we will do, and a separate for we will hear, we can say, well, in the version where Nasev Nishma came after the giving of the Torah, the we will hear isn't so significant. No, we got crowns on our heads for we will hear in that version also. So now we have to figure out what is the greatness of we will hear after we've already heard. Hopefully that's clear. Okay. So, so I want to say the following thing. And this is my, my, own, uh, my own explanation of this. So we've already heard the Torah, and now, we're gonna, and now we say to God, we will do, we will do the Torah as you've presented it to us, God, and we will hear. What, what does that mean, we will hear? We've already heard. Okay. So I heard Reb Shlomo say something one time in a different context that's really stayed with me because it's one of those great catch, catch-alls where he sums up giant, giant, giant discussions and pieces of information in one little tiny phrase. Okay? So, so you know, you can have uh, debates with people. Did God give the Torah at Mount Sinai? Right? Um, is there a God? You know, what am I doing? All, all sorts of philosophical questions and, and a lot of times the discussions will go nowhere or lead, God forbid, to arguments or whatever it is, okay? But listen to this version. Listen to this, this version that Reb Shlomo said, okay? said it in a different context, but he said the following. Do you believe that God is in an ongoing conversation with his world? I'll say it again. It's brilliant. Do you believe that God is in an ongoing conversation with his world? You see, because if you say yes to that, do you know what you've said yes to? (laughs) You have said yes. This is just me talking right now. You have said yes to dozens of religious ideas. Instead of arguing the particulars of each one, you have accepted an idea of a God who is involved and active in his creation and in our lives. It's sort of like, the brilliance of that question is it's so open-ended and non-threatening. And it's sort of like, if you imagine a, a marathon race, it's like, it's like someone snapped their fingers and all of a sudden you're at the finish line. 
Because that's what it all boils down to anyway. Why don't we just start there? Do you believe that God is in an ongoing conversation with the world? Because if you do, then, then of course miracles are possible. And of course that he wants to tell you what his will is. And of, which means, of course, he's going to give you the Torah at some point. All of a sudden, everything falls into place. Now, so we would all say, yes, of course God is in an ongoing conversation with the world. Of course. Of course he is. Right? But if God is in a in an ongoing conversation with us, that means we have to continue to listen to him. That means the listening doesn't stop just because of a historical event thousands of years ago. The listening means that it's going on in our lives right now, every single moment. We're listening, we're waiting to hear the word of God. So in this version after we already receive the Torah, when we say we will do and we will hear, we will do that which you told us already, and we will live our lives waiting to hear your word. We will engage in this relationship, this love affair with you, God, in a serious way. And make it the center of absolutely everything in our lives. So now I ask you, which was the bigger one? <laughs> the the Nasevenishma before Mount Sinai? Or the Nasevenishma after Mount Sinai? See, and again, this is part of the divinity of the Torah itself. Because when, when Hashem does something like this, when He puts something later, but it went earlier, but he's putting it later. He's communicating something. He's using it as a teaching. Remember, the word Torah itself means teaching. God is using these opportunities to teach and to expose deeper and deeper levels of the verses themselves by situating them in these contexts where they have to be additionally analyzed in a way that you wouldn't normally do it with other verses necessarily. And then new light comes out. Um, you know, just just because I can't resist, I'll just tell you this old joke. You already know it, but it just it relates to this so so much, and it will maybe make this thought a little bit more concrete if you hear it. Which is, that, you know, anyone who who knows Manhattan, who's lived in Manhattan knows that parking is, is really impossible to find. And it really is. I've had these experiences just recently. You, you, you just simply can't find a spot. And you're, you're, you're circling around blocks for a half an hour or more. I mean, my brother-in-law lives on 70th Street. He will routinely park on 125th Street and take the bus to his apartment. And now, recently, he's told me, which blew my mind when he first told me that, now he told me there are no parking spaces left on 125th Street anymore. Okay, so, so just, just if you didn't know that, that's, that's parking in New York, okay? So, so in this, the way the joke goes is there's a, there's a person and he's late for an important business meeting and it's like very important and he's looking for a parking space and it's like he's going to miss this appointment and it's a very important appointment and he's talking to God and he's saying, 
please, God, if you give me a parking space, I'll keep Shabbos, I'll keep kosher. And then, miraculously, a spot opens up right in front of him, and he says, never mind, God, I just found one. Right? So, so, so I've thought a lot about that joke. I've thought a lot about that joke, because... It's it's it, the 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 simple knee jerk reaction is is to say oh that guy's not a believer, that's the knee jerk reaction. He's not a believer, but wait a second, just you know rewind like a tiny bit. He's in his car alone talking to God. That's that's a pretty strong relationship, right? Not only that, but he thinks that God is so almighty that he controls the, controls the availability of parking spots, <laughs> right? This is a very connected individual. Okay, now, the, now all of a sudden the story becomes a little more complicated. So then why, when the spot opens up, did he dismiss God so quickly? What went wrong with this guy? What went wrong? Because this is our story. This is all of us. This is all of us. What went wrong? And so let's go back to this Nasevinishma. We will do and we will hear. When something like this happens to you in your life, when a prayer gets answered, it can't just sort of like be your like some sort of like clerk or accountant and you just say take a piece of paper and go, okay, yeah, I got a job, whatever it is. That, that, that just happened good and you file it away. No, I prayed and there's a God in front of me who heard me and rearranged reality to correspond to my will because he loves me. It's huge. An answered prayer, any answered prayer, even if it's, oh, please let the bank still be open. Any answered prayer is giant, giant. Because it attests to the existence of God. It attests to the fact that he's listening to you. It attests to the fact that he has mastery over all of creation. It attests to the fact that he's moving things for you out of love for you. But in order to do that, you have to have the nase v'nishma. You have to have the hearing, the continued hearing that you live your life hearing. Okay, so now we're ready for our big question. Why is life so confusing? Okay, so you could give many answers, but I want to present this idea since we've been working toward it. You know, we just said that the Torah scroll is out of order. And again, it's not massively out of order, but there are certain sections which for, as as the way we've discussed here today, divine purposes are in different places. Okay. Now, let's go deeper. Do you know each person is compared to a Torah scroll? And I'll give you my favorite visual of that. There's a special blessing um, that uh, Jewish men do when their wife is pregnant, which is that they open, but when it comes time to taking out the Torah out of the ark, the man will open up the ark and he'll take out the Torah scroll and he'll hand it off. And if you just look at the imagery of that, it, it's, it's pretty close to the delivering of a baby, right? And this is a blessing for an easy childbirth for the man to do this. You're opening up the ark, you're reaching in, 
There's the Torah scroll. So in this version, you see how every person is like a Torah scroll. And there are other examples too, but I, I like that one just for, just the visual clarity of it is nice. So all of us are Torah scrolls. But now what did we just say? We're not just Torah scrolls. If, if we're a Torah scroll, then what is the text? Well, the text would be the Torah, I guess. But on another level, it would also be the story of our life, right? Now what did we just say? The Torah scroll is out of water, which means the story of our life is out of water. Oh, okay, that's getting deep now, right? What is that? The story of our life is out of water. Well, Judaism believes in reincarnation. All of us are in this world to fix stuff from our past lives. So that means sometimes if we put these ideas together, someone might find themselves in a situation that makes no sense to them whatsoever. It just doesn't follow from the previous thing. You know why? Because you're now up to a chapter in your life which is out of order. This is something that happened before, but now it's been put forward and it's being presented to you right now. Without going into too much detail, because I don't want to lose you, the verse, the verse in the Torah that teaches us that the Torah is out of order. Do you know what section that is? I looked into it because I was like, hmm, that's the verse that teaches us the whole Torah is out of order. There's one undisputed one because it's not subject to interpretation. It's a later date. In other words, in there, just to make up English dates, just for clarity, earlier in the Torah it says, let's say, February 1st of the second year in the desert. Or I'm sorry, it says February 15th um, of the second year in the desert. And then later on, after it says February 15th, it says February 1st. Well, there's, of the second year. Well, there's no way around that. February 1st comes before February 15th, and yet in the Torah it's coming later. So that February 1st, big air quotes around that section, is that is the place where we realize the Torah is indisputably out of order, Right? So wouldn't it be interesting to know wouldn't it be interesting to know what section is being talked about there? So I had that question. I was like, I want to know. Let me look at it. And you ready for this? It's the laws of Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni is all about, okay, it's all about fixing the past. Okay, I, I'll tell you if you don't know the shorthand. Everyone had to bring a, the Passover offering, the Korban Pesach, on the 14th of Nisan. It was very, very important. This was like your membership dues of the Jewish people. Very important. If you didn't bring it, your soul was cut off. It was very important. Okay? And by the way, you had to be circumcised to bring it. The males had to be circumcised to bring it. A very big, big important thing about being circumcised. So you, you bring the Passover offering, the 14th. What happens if you missed it? What happens if you missed it? It's very important that you don't miss it. So it's a whole story and everything like this, but a month later, if you missed it, you can bring it then. (laughs) There's nothing like that in Judaism. It doesn't say if you forgot to shake the lulav and the esrig, right? Okay, a month later you can shake it. You've got till a month after the holiday to shake it. No. Okay, you you, you miss lighting the menorah? 
All right, you know, another month. Take eight days. You know, light all day, eight in one day, fine. You're, you're done. You did it. Right? No, there, this is singular. In all of Judaism, it's singular. This idea that a month later you can still bring, and not just up to 30 days later, that day, 30 days later, on the 14th of the, of the, of the month of ER, 30 days later you can bring it. In other words, and you're correcting the past. You're correcting the past. And the verse, the section of the Torah that tells you that the Torah is out of order is talking about that Pesach Sheni, correcting the past, rectifying the past. So you find yourself in your life and you go, why is this person acting like this? And why is this going on at work? And why is, who knows? And what is, what is going on? Why is it so confusing for me right now? It could be, it could be that this is a moment when you have an opportunity to correct something from your past. Because this event is out of order. It, it, it hasn't. It, you are right to be surprised. Because it didn't just seemingly come off. Unless you've been acting like a jerk and people have finally gotten fed up. And then don't tell me that, oh, this is a past life thing. No, this is you being a jerk thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's caught up to you. <laughs> you've just been completely unaware of the fact that you've been acting like a moron. Right? That's also a possibility. Don't run to mystical explanations if there's a very clear here and now explanation. Right? Very important. That's, that's, some people like, get a little too spiritual for their own good. We want to say that the spirituality is, is, is a sign of being smarter, not as a sign of avoiding reality. Yeah, very important. Very, very important. That's why Reb Shlomo would say all the time, the hardest thing in the world is to have your feet on the ground and your head in the clouds at the same time. That's what we want. We want your feet on the ground. You've got to be practical. You have to understand the way this world works and respect its rules. You have an appointment with someone, you show up on time. Right? Not, oh, right? What is time? <laughs> right? Why do you have to be so, like, in this world, man? Okay, that's not Torah spirituality. That is not Torah spirituality. But at the same time, your head is in the clouds because you are seeing beyond the simple reality of what you can hold in your hands and just see with your eyes. You understand that reality is more expansive than just the physical material universe. You understand them both at the same time, and you're balancing them both at the same time, and you're fulfilling your responsibilities to both at the same time. That's, that's a authentic Judaism. Okay, so now, just because I, I love this so much, and it's important for us to hear, in my opinion, Rabbi Krohn said this, Pesach Krohn, that, that I'll give you another example of life being out of order which is, he said, um, you know, I'll just take a moment to introduce this thought. These are my words. A lot of people are angry at God. And for a variety of reasons. And then they tell people, and they tell themselves they don't believe in God, but they do believe in God. But they're angry at God. So they don't want to believe in God. 
if you actually talk to them and, and they're open and it's not a debate, but it's a real sharing opportunity, they'll tell you, of course, there's something out there. Maybe they won't use the word God, but that's what they mean. But they're mad at God, so they don't want to give him any covet. They don't want to give him any honor or any acknowledgement. You know, It's just where they're at. And one of the reasons why people get mad at God is because they say, God, I've done so much. Where is my reward? I want my reward. So you should know, first of all, that Judaism says all of our reward is stored up for the next world. Very important to know. However, there are certain mitzvahs, certain great things that we can do where the blessings come down now. That's also true. That's also true. Um... So Rabbi Krohn said the following. He said, imagine you've done something great, but God doesn't want to give you the reward for it right now. Do you know why? Because he wants to use it to save your grandchild's life. Would you say yes? Would you relinquish your reward in the here and now, knowing that you're saving someone's life down the line? that you'll let the blessing go that way instead? You know, I, I was talking about this on Shabbos, and, and the person who I said this to said, I thought it was a great answer. She said, grudgingly. And I thought that that was a beautiful answer, actually, because it was a yes, but it was also very honest. And it was someone who you could see is waiting for a blessing in their life right now. You know? So I appreciated that answer because it was real, you know. Um, But here you see the mechanics where, again, life is out of order. Where sometimes something that you do, some great thing that you do, is actually meant for a future generation. And then I'll give you the reverse of that. You know, because that's, so to speak, money coming out of our pocket, right? Right? because it really should go to us, but it's going there. But I'll give you the reverse of it. We have a concept called schus avos. What's schus avos? That means the, the reward of our parents and grandparents. Where sometimes something great happens in your life and you go, oh, I don't deserve this. And guess what? You really don't deserve it. <laughs> it's not, you're not being modest. You're not being modest. You actually don't deserve it. However... Because of God's kindness, what he's done is he's funneled your way blessings from a previous generation into your pocket. So you have to know that as hard as it is to sort of let go of something that maybe is coming your way or you feel should be coming your way by by justice. At the same time, though, how many times have we been recipients of of salvations from that were stored up from previous generations that went to us and then didn't go to our grandparents. So again, here you see an idea of we're like our life we're like each one of us is like a Torah scroll. Just like a Torah scroll is not necessarily always in chronological order, our life isn't always necessarily in chronological order. And that leads to great confusion. That can lead to great confusion. But you have to know that the one who wrote the Torah and ordered things for a purpose 
also ordered our lives in this way for a purpose. He's the author of our lives and, 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 and everything is coming in the right moment even if we can't grasp it. And, you know, I think a lot of people, just finish up with this, just, I think a lot of people battle with their minds a lot and, you know, and I just think it's just so easy to be too smart for your own good. And what I mean by that is I actually think it's the smarter thought to recognize the limitations of our intelligence ultimately. As, as, as amazing as we are, we can, you know, get like the signals from stars at the edge of the universe, computers and vaccinations, DNA and subatomic molecules seems to be no limit to what the human mind is capable of until you realize there's absolutely a limit (laughs) compared to the infinity of God. There's absolutely a limit. And just to recognize, it just seems to me the greater act of intelligence is to recognize that there's a limitation to live with the idea and to get comfortable with the idea that we're just not going to know a good chunk of our life. We're just not going to know. And then that's okay. That's okay. That's not, that's not a flaw in the system. That, that's actually appropriate. That's actually appropriate. And it creates an opportunity for more yira and more ava, for more awe and more love of God, who, who is the entirety. 